0: cool, cool, cool. Come on in. We're fine. This is fine. Greetings, listeners. I hope everything is fine in your world. And if it's not fine, I hope this episode helps or at least takes your mind off things for about an hour. You've made it. You're here. I'm with you. Take a deep breath. Roll your shoulders back. Unclench your jaw. I am saying that because I am currently unclenching my own jaw. Shake it off. Whatever was going on before, whatever was ailing you just a moment ago, forget about it because I brought in a therapist today. See, everything's going to be fine. Everything's getting better. And if you're already in a good place today, hell yeah, you're crushing it. Thanks for spending a good day with us. And I hope our chat makes everything even better. All right. We've arrived at episode four, the final week of October's series, Take Better Care of Yourself Month. How Have you liked it? Are you having fun so far? Our fourth and final guest is someone I have had on the calendar since before the conception of This Is Fine, clinical psychologist, host of the Couched in Color podcast, founder of The Acoma Project, the absolutely fabulous and wonderful Dr. Alfie Breland-Noble. I've worked with Dr. Alfie on dozens of articles, and through our previous interviews and work together, I absolutely fell in love with her energy, her optimism, her altruistic spirit, her work, everything she's doing to change the landscape of mental health. Dr. Alfie is a scientist, a clinician, an author, an expert on BIPOC mental health, and a light in this world, bringing so much hope and optimism to anyone who comes in contact with her and her words. I could not be more honored to introduce you to her today. Our topic du jour, therapy. Going to therapy is the new going to the gym, but it's not a buzzy wellness trend, rather a foundational mental health practice that our culture has been craving and needing for so, so long, in my humble opinion. We're getting into how to determine if and when you need a therapist, my guess is everyone needs one, what to expect, how to get started, and what to do if therapy is financially out of reach because the average cost per session in the U.S. is nearly $200. Cool, 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 cool. All right, the therapist is now in session. Find a comfortable spot to sit, lay back, and let's get into it. Dr. Alfie, we are so grateful you're here today. Welcome to This is Fine. We like to start off our podcast by asking, are you doing fine today? What's going on in your world? Are you fine?
1: Oh, that's a good question. So today (laughs) I would say I'm grateful that I'm alive and breathing and upright. My dad always jokes, it's better than the alternative, and he's right. (laughs) And I would say emotionally, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, um, and I'm sure we can get into that. So. Emo- uh, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude and emotionally probably not 100% fine today.
0: Honestly, I'm so glad that you said that because a lot of times we start this out and we're joking like I'm
1: fine, this is fine, but <laughs> <laughs> or it's like the meme with the dog. Yes, fire everywhere. Exactly. In like one of those
0: moments, like this <laughs> is fine. This, this is fine. Is fine. <laughs> yeah, this is fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I relate to that on a lot of levels, especially today, leveling with you. I'm also like I'm I'm doing all right. Like things have been better, things have been worse, and I'm also as your dad said, grateful for not being the alternative. <laughs> to That's right. Right. <laughs> Alive and upright. Um, well, thank you for starting this out with some honesty around mental health, which is obviously so perfect for the topic today. Um, I did share some of your backgrounds in the episode intro, but I would love for our listeners to get to know you personally a little bit better. Would you be able to share your background of how you got into this mental health field?
1: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. So, for any listeners, you're so popular, and I, you know, I just want to acknowledge that there are probably people follow both of our journey like Mm -hmm. our journey together, the things that we, that you've written, you know, after you and I have spoken and everything. so I just want to acknowledge for people, if they've heard this story before, forgive me, but really (laughs) the the journey for me being into the, in the mental health space is I grew up, um, I've shared this with you before too, a Mm -hmm. dark skinned black girl in, in an environment where there were not a lot of black people. So I would say my, I grew up in Virginia beach, Virginia. I'm from the same hometown, literally we all grew up within a 10 mile radius of each other as Timbaland, the producer. Yes. Right. Who's most famous for probably Justin Timberlake and Missy Elliott's records as well as his own. And then the Neptunes Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo. And so, you know, being black kids and in Chad's case, Filipino in Virginia beach in the probably we're all Gen Xers, like the Mm eighties, I would say 70s, late seventies, early eighties, late eighties was difficult. And it was difficult because as kids of color, you didn't have a lot of support. We're all public school products. And that was my case too. So in my home, I always felt valued. And you know, I'm always talking about people should feel seen, heard, and valued. I always felt that at home. When I got outside the house, definitely not so much, if at all. So whether it was with peers, I had good relationships with peers, um, or whether it was academically, because I was a really uh, high achieving black student mm-hmm. um where there were almost never other black students in my classes. It was the same. I used to say eight, but every time I try to think of the eighth person, there isn't an eighth person. So I think it was the one or two Filipino kids who were also in those classes with us. There's yeah. seven black kids and two or three Filipino kids who are always the only kids of color in these classrooms of 30 kids. And wow. so it was extremely isolating. Right, And I'm sure um, my high school is called Green Run High School. All my friends who went to Green Run, no, Alfie, we loved you. and We thought you were great. I'm sure. Right. They would be horrified. But, you know, I and a lot of these other kids of color, we felt isolated. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of it for me. It was like, where can I go to find some space to have some some doggone peace? And I didn't have it. outside. I just didn't have it outside the house. But in the house, I had models. So my mom, who I've shared with many people, it's been 16 years since she passed the pancreatic cancer. I could talk to my mother about literally anything. She used to have this running joke, baby, you know, I, I would pray nothing happened, but you could be a serial killer and I would still love you. Though. I would pray for you and we would try to forgive you. I love She's her. Like, there's, nothing, there's nothing you could do that would make me stop loving you, right? Like only, you know, I'm joking, but-
0: Of course, but that on the, my heart-
1: Yes. The unconditional love that, and I'm not saying it was perfect, right? There were things that my mom and I butt heads about, but my parents were always, we think you're amazing. We don't care what anybody else thinks. Don't let these folks get you down. Even teachers, they would go to bat for me at school when teachers would be racist and just all kinds of stuff. So I knew what that felt like. And I knew that I wanted to feel that. And I honestly have to say, I believe that's really the thing that, got me into the field can i create even if it's artificial because it's not their their family can i create that sense of belonging for other people particularly people with marginalized identities and that's really what really pushed me into the field.
0: God, I've heard you tell this story before, and I have chills right now still at just every time. (laughs) It's so special. And thank you for opening up more about, you know, your personal experience with mental health. I think a lot of people jump right into their, you know, clinical and research background. But you have such a personal stake in this game. So this did, this yes. personal experience did lead you. <laughs> and now uh, we can get into the the clinical and research side because you have such an illustrious background. I would love for our listeners to hear more about that as
1: well. Of course. So I always joke I'm a recovering academic. Um, <laughs> it's funny, but it's true, right? right and right. I say it, you know, and academics always kind of do the cringe laugh, like, uh, especially <laughs> the ones who, who are still in it, right? And I have only love and respect for them, particularly anybody with a marginalized identity who's in academia, because oddly enough, you know, uh, academic medicine, particularly in the area of psychiatry, psychology, you know, clinical social work, mental health, we can be some of the most awful people to work with. (laughs) You would think, oh my God, I'm so serious. Like the horror stories that I could tell about the challenges that I and other people like me experienced which really pushed us outside of traditional academia and led me personally to what I do now with the Acoma Project. And so my journey was I have four degrees. Uh, The final degree I earned was a terminal master's degree and it's called a master's of health sciences. So anybody who's in kind of an academic geek like I am, it's basically a master's of public health, but it was Duke. And so Duke has to be special. I, you know, I can say that because I (laughs) Survive, right? Yes. And they call it a master's, they have they they don't call it an MPH, it's a master's of health sciences. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> it's, still, it's basically the same thing, right? Yeah. And so my my focus was in clinical trials. And the reason I start there is because I feel like everything else is like very traditional in terms of how I, you know, did my training undergrad at Howard. We just celebrated our, uh, I just celebrated homecoming with my daughter, who's oh. a first year. She's class of 26 at Howard. It was amazing. That's so cool. Um, so out! There. Oh yeah, it was wonderful. So, and then master's at NYU, graduate degree from University of Wisconsin-Madison. That's a whole nother set of stories. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go there, <laughs> but you know, and then I got that second, but the purpose of the second master's, which is from the medical school at Duke, was because I did develop this interest in research and I wanted to be health disparities researcher. And so the course of my career, the arc has really kind of always been the same, like fighting for the underdog, so to speak, fighting for people to amplify voices that have always been there, but that, you know, other folks weren't paying attention to. And so in my case, that ended up being young people of color. And I did all the traditional clinical trials type of work. I worked on large scale clinical trials, you know, all in the space of adolescent mental health. I worked on smaller scale trials. You know, I worked in the space of working on trials that tested uh, medications, psychotropic medications. I worked on behavioral health clinical trials, and so I wanted something that that felt like it had me a deeper meaning for me. I always wanted to be like a service type of researcher. So it's not just about as a a scientist, let me just gather up all the details and data I can from you and then I leave. I always wanted it to be an exchange. So while I'm collecting information from you, I'm also trying to figure out what can I leave you with that's going to benefit you. So for example, we would do things, and I should say the ACOMA project started as a traditional clinical research lab. We started in 1999 and it was my research lab. So I had graduate students. I had medical students work for me. I had postdocs, you name it. We had them come through uh, the Acoma Project and it evolved into a 501c3 nonprofit because I wanted to do service focused work. So when you're in academia and you're saying things like, well, you know, if we don't deal with racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia, you know, and the immigration experience and, and young people's experiences of mental health, we're not getting a full picture. Mm-hmm. And the answer I would give back was, well, if we, are, we already know how to treat depression in kids, I'm like, do we though? Like, you're not talking about these other things? <laughs> <Do> like, we? <laughs> we do? You know what I'm saying? Do we? You know yeah. what I mean? And so it was, I got tired of asking, do we? So I said, you know what? it's okay. So I I was at three academic institutions. I don't need, I told you one, that's the only one I need to name. And Mm -hmm. by the time I got to the third one, I was like, you know what, this ain't it. Um, I need to be fulfilled. I don't want to have to fight every time I want to ask, you know, pose a hypothesis. I don't want to have conversations about, you know, I used to have this thing about, I used to like go around in circles and literally would be in arguments with people, not fisticuffs, but it would be heated (laughs) arguments. where I would say stuff like, you know, but maybe there's this thing called mass depression. And I remember a very prominent researcher, this was decades ago, told me there's no such thing. And the oh crazy God. part was that this was, a, I was always talking about it from the perspective of kids of color. This was a person who had very close personal relationships with kids of color. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, how do you not see this? You're with these kids every day. So anyway, the whole concept of mass depression is you're depressed, but what people see is anger. Oh, right. That's mask depression. Yeah. Right. So you wear your anger as a mask. Right. To veil the depression. And this person's sweat. No, that's not a thing. Well, we mm-hmm. know from the diagnostical, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders that one of the key features of depression in kids is irritability. Wow. And what does irritability look like? It looks like anger. anger. Right. So I got tired of it. So I said, you know, I don't have to fight y'all. I can go make this a nonprofit. Right. And I don't have to fight with anybody because the boss will be me. I'm not going to fight with myself. CEO of I'll Do It Myself. (laughs) That's it. And that's what we did. And that became the Acoma Project, where I'll say briefly, in terms of science and outreach and clinical, we are about three things. Raising consciousness about mental health, empowering people around mental health, youth, their families and communities, and changing the system, right? The traditional systems, whether that's research, clinical care, whatever that policy Around mental health, to the extent that we can influence policy, because as a five hundred one c three, you know, we have limitations around what we can do, but we can certainly share information. So that's the science, that's the practice, and that's how all of it is integrated into a coma.
0: It's so incredible. And again, I know we've talked about this multiple times on our own, but every time, yeah. I'm just like oh, I have chills. Like this is just such <laughs> inspiring work. I'm such a baby. Thank I'm like you. just such an emotional Thank person. <laughs> but no, um, me too. Me yeah. too. Huh? Yeah, I think that's why we bonded. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so I love what you said about you want people to he- feel seen, heard, and valued. And that is a huge mission that I have here on the podcast as well. I like to yes. break down taboos, make things more accessible, easier to talk about. And fortunately today, therapy is less taboo than ever. But still, for a lot of people, it feels a little bit off limits, perhaps, Um And, you know, more and more people are talking about these therapy journeys, but I thought you would be the perfect person to kind of break through whatever ice there's left (laughs) and and guide us through a therapy 101 today. Does that sound good to you? Yes. Amazing. Okay. So you come at this from a lot of different angles. You have such a breadth of experience. Do you have an opinion or perspective or some insight on when it is time to start thinking, do I need a therapist? I think sometimes people oh. who need them the most might be the ones who think they don't need it at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes. what are your thoughts on this? When you start asking the question, it's time to find somebody, okay. honestly, because if you didn't, and I won't say that it's a need. Okay. I'm re- I'm a really we don't talk about spirituality. You and I have not in the past a lot, but I am a very much a spiritually guided person, and mm-hmm. I feel like. You know, I'm, I'm one of my favorite movies. I know it's problematic because the stereotypes is Kung Fu Panda, right? <laughs> yeah. And in Kung Fu Panda, Master Uguay, that's my dude. Like, I love Master that. Master <laughs> says, "That is that's that's my dude, right? Yep. There are no accidents. I believe there are no accidents. Right. So if you're in this space where you're thinking, where stuff keeps coming up, you're like. Ooh, this like the fifth person who said, have you ever thought about therapy? Or, yep. you know, this is the fourth or fifth time I've thought to myself, I wonder if it would help me to talk to somebody. Maybe that's the signal that it's time to look. I think what gets in the way is we still have this stigma, particularly for any kind of marginalized identity. We still have this idea that if I need help with this thing specifically, that means there's something really wrong with me. And yes. we don't have that kind of stigma related to, you know, if I'm, I have a girlfriend when I was growing up, she's anemic, right? So she would get lightheaded, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she couldn't exert herself too much because of the anemia. But if she got lightheaded, like after a while she knew oh yeah I'm going to go take my iron pills or you know what mm-hmm. I mean I you know I've exerted myself too much right. and it was there was no shame in it she would just go do it or if I, my dad is a diabetic he has diabetes right and if he gets lightheaded he knows he's got to go take a shot or he needs to take a sugar cube or something mm-hmm. like that and there's no not as much stigma but if we're struggling and and we could benefit from talking with someone we have this idea, ooh, there must be something really wrong with me. And you know, in many communities, you've heard me say before, crazy is about a situation. I just started watching community and I'm kind of obsessed. I've like flown oh. through all the seasons. Oh, and it's so this. good. Okay. Oh, you gotta start it's, <laughs> it's wild. But you know, it's a comedy, but it's it's just so out there. Those situations on that sitcom, they're crazy situations, they're just so outside the realm <laughs> of reality. But We don't call I always say we don't call people crazy. Crazy is a descriptor for the wildness of a situation. It's right. never a descriptor for people, but that's the stigma, which, which we call personalized stigma, that we apply to ourselves. Right. So if I could benefit right from some emotional support from a, a, per, a person who's trained, then I must be, air quotes, crazy. And what yeah. I try to say to people is everybody could benefit. From having somebody to talk to. We don't have to wait until there's something. And even as a trained professional of however many years, there was the early part of my career, I too had this belief that there had to be something really wrong for you to go see some. And I struggled. I had girlfriends, Gen X girlfriends, who were like, Yeah, girl, I talked to my therapist. I only had one or two of them who did that. And I was like, Why is she going to therapy? She she's normal. Do you know what I mean? But (laughs) even I had to unlearn. Yes. Those, those stigmas. So I, I think that's what it is. But if you're thinking about it, it might be time to look into
0: it. Yeah. Pay attention to those little inklings. I, I'm very spiritual yes. as well. And I feel like when you're getting yeah. those kind of signs, it's like you said, yes. it's not an accident. But what you just said that's about right. like the whole concept of feeling like there's something really wrong or that you're crazy. I was yeah. um, rewatching an old episode of Sex in the City. Where everyone is telling, I think it was everyone is telling Carrie to go to therapy and she was like, that's for crazy people. I'm like, no. That part. Yeah. think
1: about that.
0: Think about that. And like people believed that. that, uh, I I don't think that would have phased anyone watching at the time right? Mm-hmm. Like the the mm-hmm. 90s when people were like, oh yeah, therapy is not, mm-hmm. that's for crazy people. I, mm-hmm. I relate to that on a personal level too. You know, when I went through my own therapy journey, there were certain moments where I was like, oh no, like this must mean there's something really wrong with me. So I mm-hmm. want to just take a second to validate anyone who has gone through that or is currently going through that. It's okay. And it's not your fault. And we have been really culturally conditioned to experience things in that way. And that's why we're having conversations like this.
1: That's
0: right. You nailed (laughs) it. Thank you. (laughs) So, okay, if you're getting these inklings, if you're, you know, feeling that tug in any sort of way, or maybe someone has brought it up, like maybe this could be helpful, and by some grace of God, you don't take that personally, and it
1: feels helpful. that's right. That's right. (laughs) What
0: about for people who might be in denial? Is there any kind of way, I know that's such a broad question, but is there any way for people Mm -hmm. who, you know, haven't had that tug but might actually need to go? would there be a sign that might help them? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I think for folks who are in denial, it is it can be challenging for those around them yeah. to watch the person struggle or to to be impacted by that person's struggles because mm-hmm. that's normally when we push people. It's like, okay, you about to work my last nerve? Like yeah. you need some help. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's generally yes. how we come at people, and that's not the way. You know, nobody wants to hear that. And I so. I think for me, two things. One is I've learned as a bystander, right? Or having people I care about who I'm like, I feel like they could really benefit. Knowing that I might find a way to mention it gently right. and that if their response to that is, no, I don't need that, then that's okay. Yeah. right? Because it's not my job to fix.
0: Yeah, that's it a hard lesson job. to learn.
1: <laughs> Ooh, yes, it is. It took me a long time. So it's not my job to fix. It's my job to love and support you, and to take care of myself in the process. So if if it's gotten to a point where it's so difficult to be around that person, whoever that person is, that is stressing me out and causing me pain, that's my cue that I need to take a step back. And I have to be a person who's self-conscious and self-aware enough to take a step back. Maybe I don't drop them completely, but maybe I text a little less. Or maybe mm-hmm. I call a little less or you know, that's me, you know, practicing and and modeling self-care. So that's from the outsider looking in for the person who's in it. What I say to people is, if you don't know your baseline, if you don't know what it feels like, I had a colleague tell me, I think she practices the Baha'i face. She talked about coming from a space of neutrality. Mm -hmm. What feels neutral? When, when are the times in your life Mm -hmm. when, when you're just neutral, when it's not wonderful. You won, you know, a $20 million lottery or, you know, what I mean? you got that big promotion and it's not awful. You just broke up with the person you thought you were going to be partnered with for mm-hmm. the rest of your life. What does neutral feel like? Yeah, And so many of us have no idea what neutral feels like. So it's hard to know that we are in denial because we don't know what neutral feels like. And wow. so we don't know that we've been in this space of right? Being just not quite right. right. My mom used to say, nothing ain't wrong, but something ain't right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know <laughs> what it is. I don't feel right. Yeah, We don't know what that feels like because that feels, air quotes, normal. Right. I'm used to feeling off kilter. I'm used yeah. to feeling agitated or angry or sad or whatever it is, or I'm like just bouncing off the walls all the time. I don't know what neutral is for me. So for me, it is always trying to share the message of You can take the time to try to understand what your baseline is. And until you do that, you won't know how long or the depths to which you've been struggling Mm -hmm. because you think struggling is normal. So is that taking the time to get still? Right. And for a lot of us still is scary. Yeah. Because what happens when you're still, all the stuffs come up. The energy maybe that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. And we don't want the stuffs. We don't want, we don't want the teens, right? We don't want the teens to bother us. <laughs> yeah. and so we don't get still. So the denial piece for me is, are we willing, are, is any of us willing to be still for a moment mm-hmm. and allow whatever's going to surface to surface? And so if you're willing to get still and allow stuff to surface... Then I think you have a sense of, is the stuff that's surfacing, is it so heavy that I feel like I'm, you know, if I don't get off of this, like being still, I'm going to just fall apart. Is it like a little nuisance? Is it like you said earlier, a little inkling? Mm-hmm. What is it? That's the place to start. And and just over time, just kind of track it over three or four days. And if you're still feeling that thing, that inkling, that that heaviness or whatever it is, maybe that's when it's time to consider should I get some help? And notice I said get some help. I didn't say go straight to therapy because you right. don't want to go straight to therapy because you ain't going to stay because you're not ready.
0: Right, right, right. That's but a th- really good point. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Find something. Find something to do to take care of yourself. That's why I ask people to just start. Hopefully you'll get to therapy. Yeah. But even if you don't, you'll have some new skills to practice that that emotional self-care.
0: Yeah, that self-reflection, emotional recalibration. Oh my gosh. I, yes. I think about this a lot, especially you know, after experiencing the years of the pandemic and trying to do yes. that whole stillness and being quiet with your thoughts and not numbing yeah. out or distracting. It's, it's very, very challenging. Um, and I think that's why yeah. so many people avoid it. Yes. But, yeah, such a good check-in-with-yourself cue is if you're listening to this right now and thinking, no, I, I don't need therapy or I don't want therapy, whatever it is. Well, maybe just check in, like she said, what is your neutral? How are you feeling? Monitor over a few days. I truly wish— that annually with your physical, you would also get like a mental Um, at your your doctor. I wish, or like, you know, at a a mental health care provider, I wish that was part of our insurance system where like at least once a year, everyone just got like an overarching, like, how's your mental health checkup? Yes. Yes. My utopia. It would be,
1: I've heard, I've heard, and I've heard not many, but I've heard a few people say that. And let's be honest there are probably many providers. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do that for ourselves. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're, I don't know, like the stigma is, is so deep. And like you said, it's, it's lifting quite a bit, right? It, yeah. it has changed drastically. Like the, the scene you said from Sex in the City, mm-hmm. you couldn't get away with that now. People no. like would be writing in and tweeting like, what is wrong with these people Immediately canceled. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right, it's like, it's over. You can't do it. But I think at the same time, Sometimes it's challenging. You know, there's data out there that speaks to primary care providers. I remember this from my days as a mental health services researcher. And you would ask providers, are they open to it? And they would say yes. And then you would dig a little deeper. And what you would find is, well, on the surface, that's the socially acceptable answer. They're open to it. But beneath it, there's this fear about and what am I supposed to do with folks if they screen positive? Right. I'm not equipped to take care of them. Where am I going to send them? There's nowhere to send them. You mm-hmm. know? And then the idea of, as a provider, are you yourself open to reflecting on whether or not you need support? <laughs> like, right? so are you okay? About those. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. right? Just like you started the conversation, you know, how are you feeling? Are you fine? And yeah. so there's so many layers to it. But I do wish that there were a way for people to get like a culturally relevant, culturally competent way to check in you know, on a, on a major scale, at least annually. And then right. that there were supports for people if they were struggling or if yes. they did, you know, find something that they wanted to tweak or to work on or just to pontificate on a little bit, where can you go to get that kind of support? What kind of apps can you use? What kind of things can you do? I, I do wish we had that so that people could feel like it's okay to ask the question. And once I asked the question, Yeah, there's something I can do, somewhere I can go to get that support that I might need.
0: Right. And I love that you brought that up because if someone is checking in right now and they're thinking, okay, yeah, I'm open to this. I'm curious. I want to explore this world of therapy. I know that I need some kind of support. Maybe, like you said, it's not jumping all the way to therapy. Maybe it's starting with counseling or some sort of app support. So if someone is listening and saying, yes, I'm ready. But what type do I choose? There's psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, hypnotherapy, group therapy, couples therapy, like so many kinds. Do you have any advice on kind of navigating through that, which can be very confusing? I know you have some, you know, preferences yourself, but what are your thoughts on figuring that out?
1: I I love the idea of being self-aware enough for us to sit down and think, what am I comfortable with? Am I comfortable with just going to a psychiatric nurse practitioner or a physician or, or something, someone of that nature for them to write me a prescription. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And most of us, I'll be honest, for most of us probably not. Because, <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you, air quotes, need meds, there must really be something wrong with you. I mean, I, that's still what a lot of people think, which, you mm-hmm. know, is, is nothing could be further from the truth. Or you just need somebody to bounce ideas off of. Do you need that to be individual? Or are you okay being in a group of folks? Right. Are you comfortable doing that virtually? Or do you need to physically be sitting in front of someone? Do you want 15 or 20 minutes of this or do you want like an hour of this? How often? So I think it's, what do you know about yourself and how can you apply what you know about yourself to getting this help? Right. I think if you start there, it's just literally, it's just a quick self-assessment. So I would, you know, for example, would say, you know, for someone who has a really short attention span, maybe you don't dive in on, you know, psychodynamic psychotherapy immediately. Maybe you, or psychoanalysis, because that's, takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you, or you don't want to think about the past. You want to deal with what's happening right now. My job is stressing me out. I need some help on how to deal with this coworker who was working my last nerve, mm-hmm. who was like triggering my anxiety. Do you know what I mean? Maybe mm-hmm. it's that. And so once you know that, you have two or three key things that you know you want to kind of at least try to work out or focus on or stuff that you need help with. That's your guidance. What kind of help you need? Maybe you just are experiencing a lot of stress and you just need some tools for how to reduce your stress. Stress, start with an app. Get online and say the best stress reduction tools, right? You can find an app that way. If you're like, mm, yeah, app is okay, but I know I'm not gonna stick with it if it's just me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need I need a person. Do you want to coach? You somebody mm-hmm. to coach you on some stuff, or are you ready to really dive into Something a little more clinical in terms of, you know, emotional well-being and mental health. It, it really is just starting with that self-assessment and calibrating what you seek out based on your self-assessment. I'll give you one quick, really, really quick tool. Some folks I really love that I think is not advertising for them, but I do think they have an idea of how to help people. This group called Project Healthy Minds. Okay. Carson Daly is one of their board members. He, I adore Carson. He's mm-hmm. the sweetest human being in the world and very open about his own mental health journey. And it was founded by another guy I adore. I just love him. His name is Phil Shermer. And what they have is what they call a marketplace. You literally can download their app or go to their website, answer a few questions, just like you and I were just talking yeah. about, and they will. it will pop up. Well, have you thought about this or this or this or this, wow. do you know what I mean? Like an app or a coach or, you know yeah. what I mean? A mental health professional or, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's an example of a place to start because in this type of society that we're in, it's sort of like, it. you know, it needs to be at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. It needs to like crunch, crunch the, the data quickly yep. and spit out some ideas. Cause you know, people don't know where to go. There's so many different right. things, different kinds of doctors and do you want meds or not, or You know, there's so many ways to it, but do you want something holistic, right? And so Mm -hmm. are you a religious person? Do you want a pastoral counselor? So I think it really, it has to start with a self-assessment. My thing is always going to come back to self-assessment. If you're capable of doing a self-assessment, that should be your guidance. Because that's the thing, calibrating it to your assessment of who you are. At least, you know, I'm not saying you got to do all this deep thinking, but, you know, do I have a long attention span or short? Like, start there. Inventory. you know... (laughs) That's it. Do a inventory and calibrate it to those top two or three things that rise, you know, to the top of your self-inventory. I think that's where you can start.
0: I love that you brought up that app because as you were saying this, I was like, gosh, I wish there was an app or a site where you could just answer a few questions. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it exists. That is amazing. Yeah. And that is actually something I'm going to explore because like you said, this is such a nuanced thing. And I think, you know, one of the differences between treating, quote-unquote, physical health versus mental health, even though I I do feel that they're one and the same. But, you know, the Mm -hmm. traditional, like, quote-unquote, Western medicine versus mental health treatment, like you were saying, the doctor has to know exactly what to prescribe and how much, and it's very, like, structured and prescriptive and uh, Mm -hmm. quantitative versus Mm -hmm. mental health is so qualitative and nuanced Mm -hmm. and personalized, and that kind of doesn't really fit into the structure that we're used to with treatment. So, this is something like you said, take that inventory, even if it is a very simple inventory, because there are so many types of therapy and counseling and coaching that um, it can feel a little bit overwhelming, like walking into a store with like too many (laughs) clothing choices.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Now, that is my dream. Too many clothing choices, my nightmare, (laughs) right? right, Is the grocery store where it's just like I just completely get overwhelmed. I like structure and I like order, right? And so, the grocery store with you know, a thousand different kinds of cream cheese. I'm
0: like, no, 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 no. no. I'm out. me like, my Philly, Philly cream cheese yeah. and that's all I want. Where is that? Right. right. Give that's me the one thing. Like, that's right. <laughs> we have that's so right. much in common. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll walk into a store, get overwhelmed and immediately like 180 and walk out Girl. of the store. <laughs>
1: Listen, online grocery shopping is my best friend. Yes. So just like, oh my gosh! Especially because I can click like refill your cart with the stuff you ordered before.
0: <gasps> I do that too. That's all I need. Oh my god! Girl, I've, listen. I've, I've, yes. <laughs> That's my best friend. Every Friday, um, Amazon's like, all right, we added your usual things to your cart." I'm like, thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Yes,
1: ma'am. Yes. Much, no stress on me. That's right. Put them at the door. Ring the doorbell. Yep. Keep it moving. Send me a picture. If you drop them off, Amazon Prime, let's go.
0: Yes, we're out here living me. living the same dream. <laughs> I love that so much. That is a mental health practice, right? We're just yes, yes. <laughs> We're eradicating yes, that, that stressor from our lives. That's right. Oh, my That's gosh. Right. Okay. So speaking of feeling overwhelmed, great segue. Finding a therapist or an app can feel a little daunting, especially, I mentioned in the intro, the average cost of a session with a psychologist, psychiatrist is just about $200, regardless of what Mm -hmm. state you're in. That's like the national average. Mm -hmm. That in and of itself can feel overwhelming. Mm -hmm. and Not everyone has insurance, and a lot of providers aren't even on insurance. Mm -hmm. Do you have advice for navigating this part of the step? Because finding... The therapist or the app? I guess you know get what it's get healthy minds get healthy mind is, yeah project healthy our, minds project healthy minds thank mm-hmm. you yes mm-hmm. I know that would be one way but if someone's like okay well I'm just trying to find a therapist near me mm-hmm. that can be a little daunting especially when you're dealing with perhaps a mental health crisis you're already going through you know mm-hmm. crippling anxiety really severe depression perhaps a, a mm-hmm. bipolar mood swing or episode mm-hmm. um, do you have any tips on navigating that getting that started.
1: So, you know, yes. Uh, the the direct answer to the question is: we do have nine eight eight, right? And oh, yeah. we have to use nine eight eight for crisis. So, if you're in a crisis mm-hmm. and you can't get to an ER, or you're not, you feel safe enough that you're not going to hurt yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because if you feel like you're going to hurt yourself, please go to the ER. Like, yeah. just go to the ER. That you know that I have to say that, um, I, and it's important. You you need help. Yeah. You need support, I should say it that way. I think if you feel safe enough, but you you know, like it, you, it's super heightened emotions, like you're upset, but not to the point where you want to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. Right. That's where things like 988 and Crisis Text Line come in. I'm on the board. I'm actually sitting on the board of Crisis Text Line, so full Amazing. disclosure. And so, you know, 988, it's basically Crisis Text Line for like everybody, right? And so if you hit that 988, it can point you to a person in the immediate short term, I think either via phone or via text to help you go from what we often call hot to cool, right? So if you're hot, mm-hmm. you're like in that crisis and then cool is, or to warm is like, okay, you're, you've are you come down a little bit from that crisis mode and, and you can be okay until somebody can get to you or till you can get to be with a loved one to help keep you safe or that kind of thing. So right. I think 988 is your like go to or the ER, that's the crisis. But if you're in a place where you're like, I'm functioning, but I really need this help, yeah, I think that's when you and you have internet access or you have Wi Fi access. I think that's when you start to get on some very clear, directed types of sites. And so, I would say, you know, for people from the LGBTQ community, globally speaking. You have like the Trevor Project. I think they have a hotline. I know they have a directory. If you are of color and LGBTQ, there are websites like the National Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network. Get on Like literally you can Google it. I just discovered yesterday, there's a new site called uh, Queer People of Color. They have a directory, right? And so if you happen to be, you know, a person uh, with any kind of marginalized identity, say around Mm -hmm. race or culture, there are lots of different sites, the Loveland Foundation. I do mm-hmm. have to say that the Acoma Project is currently offering five free sessions free. You don't pay anything of virtual therapy Amazing. for young people between the ages of 12 and 30 um, because we've been supported by funders who are, that are allow us to do that. You can go on Acoma Project's website. So there are lots of, of organizations that are providing like free therapy funds where they have an mm-hmm. open registration and they close it and, you know, once you get in, they'll place you with someone. Um, but I think you also have things like uh, psychology today. Find a therapist. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's called Yep. You can search by zip code, type of insurance, you know, their specialty. Do they identify as working with, with specific populations? Mm-hmm. So I think it's if you feel functional enough to, to take the time to look and you're not in an immediate crisis, that's where you go to look to get some information. I think it's, you know, people can just Google find a psychotherapist near me or find a therapist near me and start there. But, you know, what I don't want people to do is just sit and not do anything. Right. So you have some options, right? You have these crisis options and then you have places you can search. So that's what I would encourage people to do is just, you know, you can sit on your phone and be on the subway or the metro and be anywhere. And and just scroll through your phone Mm -hmm. and use that Wi-Fi to help you start the process of finding someone.
0: I love that. And for anyone listening right now, everything that Dr. Alfie just listed out, I will put in the show notes. So those links, names of apps, the hotline, everything that you need to start that process to start to search to find a therapist that works for you, who identifies similarly to you, who looks like you, someone who you can really connect with. We're going to have those listed out as resources for you. Beautiful. So Dr. Alfie, now that people have made that step, right? Like they've identified they want to go to therapy. Now they're looking into the kind of therapy and then they just found a therapist. They've never been to therapy before. What can someone expect from a therapy session, kind of generally speaking, if they're nervous and just want to be put at ease, like it's all going to be okay kind of energy? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: So two big things. I always say you have a right to your uh, privacy and confidentiality. So any licensed mental health provider, and I I really want people to hear me say licensed, is bound by a set of a code of ethics. Part of that code of ethics is they can't talk about what they're talking about with you to anybody, Mm -hmm. right? And so unless two things happen, you threaten to hurt yourself Mm -hmm. or you threaten to hurt somebody else, then they have to report that. But if you're not talking about either one of those two things, what you say to them Nobody else is going to know about that. So that's the first thing because people worry. They're going to tell my business and, you know, I'm, you know, is my business going to be in the street? No, it's not <laughs> supposed to at all, right. right, with a licensed professional. And then I think number two is it's important for people to know that you don't have to tell anybody that you're going to see somebody. Because I think sometimes we worry, are people going to be able to read it on my face? Are they going to be able to tell? If you don't want anybody to know You don't have to say anything. That's your personal private business. And so that in and of itself can lessen some of the stress because I think people do worry who's going to find out about this if you don't want people to know you don't have to say anything and nobody has a right to that information except for you and your mental health provider. So I think going in, what I hope people will understand is that it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. It is not a dictatorship. I would strongly discourage people from going to a mental health professional who's going to dictate to you what you should be doing. That's, that's really not what this is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about you having a safe space. If all you want to do is go in there and unload and say, Oh, these are all the things that happened to me this week. I don't really need you to say anything. I just want you to listen. If that's where you need to start, start there. When I treated, I'm licensed in, two states and I'm working on uh, my DC license. I used to have it. And now I'm having a little bit of issues with it. Not because of anything I did, but just because <laughs> of like just a lapse in logistics. time. So I'm trying to get that back. Yeah, logistics. Yeah. I want to be honest about that. Um, but, you know, for years, I've been licensed in multiple places. Right. And so, um, you know, what's important to me is that when I work with patients, one of the things that I do, which I feel like any provider should do, is when you sit down with them th- for the first time, Their goal should be to put you at ease as much as possible within their control with the process. So they should be sharing with you their background and experience. They should be sharing with you their approach to the work. And they should be asking you questions like, you know, do are you apprehensive about this? Is there anything I can share with you that might give you a little more comfort? That should be the first session, right? right? And so you should know walking in. You should like, you know, assess how you feel. Sitting in a room with the person is the person doing something that makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, I've had instances where uh, people have talked to me and they've said, you know, yeah, in that first session, I said something about, you know, my identity and maybe it was gender identity, something like that. And the therapist was like, oh, I didn't know y'all went through that too. And I never went back. They shouldn't be doing that. So it's, you should feel comfortable. So you're also wanting to kind of calibrate just a little bit about what is your gut telling you about how it feels to sit with the person. Not are you uncomfortable because just the idea of therapy makes you uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but how do you feel in that exchange with the person? Are they listening to you? Are they attentive to your needs? Are they explaining themselves clearly? So I think what we should all expect is to be in an environment that at a basic level feels safe. I think we should expect that we can communicate freely without being judged. I think we should expect that You know, we lead the experience feeling like even in that first session, that person was there to listen to me because that's our job. Our job is, you know, above all else is to be there to listen and then to provide a little bit of guidance as needed. So what I tell everybody is when you go to therapy, remember, I want you to treat the therapeutic relationship like you are the driver of the bus. And your mental health provider is the GPS.
0: Mm, Love that you have a choice, right?
1: You can listen to the GPS or not. But if you don't listen to the guidance the GPS is giving you, and you know without injury driving to a ditch, okay. (laughs) Now you got to turn the mirror back to yourself Mm because the GPS told you maybe you want to go a different, you know, maybe you want to go right instead of going left. It's
0: like screaming, recalculating
1: over and over. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So. You, But you drive the bus. And I, mm-hmm. that's what I want people to know about therapy.
0: I love that. And that is so true that you really should feel this form of safety, a little bit of autonomy, that personal power. Yes. And you don't have to stick with the first therapist you find if it's not working out. I think that's a really good point that you really should be assessing, do I feel safe and comfortable with this person?
1: 100%.
0: So something that I experienced in therapy, and I would love to know if you've experienced it either personally or professionally, is what oh, I no. call a therapy hangover. Sometimes there would be a really intense session unpacking something that was like really deeply entrenched, like a trauma or a painful memory, maybe pinpointed some kind of personal vulnerability and then would leave and I would be exhausted. Like I just had a Mm. full body hangover. I feel like that was my whole mental physical connection. Like my mental health is my physical health. And that was just, Mm -hmm. we did a lot of heavy lifting. Is that something you've also witnessed or
1: experienced? I've definitely witnessed it. I think my experience has been the opposite, that I've left ah. sessions and just felt like the weight of the world was off my back.
0: Just elated. That's,
1: yes. Like, oh, I had no idea that this thing was connected to when I was 14 in junior high school. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes. I had no idea. Or yes. I had no idea it was okay to say that you love your parents, but you don't. True story. That you don't like everything that they do. Like I yeah. felt like that was like blasphemy. Like betrayal. you can't say you don't love stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. You, and I'm Catholic too, girl. You know, mm-hmm. yes. You're not <laughs> supposed to not like stuff that they do, <laughs> right? So, but I've definitely had the experience with working with patients where they've come back and been like, you know, like it, like it's, it's almost like to be continued. Yeah. As soon as they sit down, they're like, "No, we're gonna pick up from last week because you said such and such and." that just broke me open and I just have not been able to, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. function since then. And it's been so heavy and, and can, can we dive into that? And I think we should expect that. Yeah, right. What, what other space in your life do you get to have a hopefully neutral third party, right? Help you uncover or unlock or discover something that has really been sitting with you sort of unaddressed or mm-hmm. unattended or unexplained for like maybe years, maybe decades, yeah, right? And so it makes sense. And when you crack it open, think about it like this. You have a pot and a, a pot of boiling water and you put a lid on it. The bubbles <laughs> bubble up mm-hmm. under that lid because all that heat gets trapped. When you take the lid off, what happens? All that steam yeah. comes out. It's got to go somewhere because yeah. that water is changing form. It's the same thing with stuff that we carry inside us. There's this great book. I've not read the whole thing, so I'm going to be honest about that. Um, <laughs> The, the author's name is Resmaa Menakin, And he talks about, I think it's called um, Grandmother's Hands. And he talks about how we carry trauma and these experiences in our body, right? Yeah. There's another, you probably know the name, I can't remember it, but it's like, I don't know, your body carries trauma. That's totally yeah, not is. I'm just like is, stored trauma. Like I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's the idea. So whether it's a tiny trauma or a huge trauma, Mm -hmm. it's still trauma, right? Trauma is just that experience of being exposed to that inordinately big stressor for you and it's all relative, right? So trauma is about that experience, right? So it makes sense that you might leave therapy with that therapeutic hangover. And if you're doing the work, that's what you should expect, that there are going to be times, hopefully it's not every time, Mm -hmm. but there are going to be times when you have that experience and the, the, if there, if there is a positive, it is that you have done some really serious work to support yourself by illuminating and shining a light on that thing that you've been carrying.
0: Yeah, I love that. It is like you've done some big work and then you kind of heal yeah. from that and then you get back to yeah. those elated sessions. Kind of like when you work out, right? Sometimes you go to a workout right. and you're just, you know, high on endorphins. And then sometimes you do a really yes. heavy workout and you're like, oh my God, I can't sit down on the toilet. My legs hurt yes. so bad. Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So exactly. that is the therapy hangover in my mind. <laughs> so yes. yeah, just something yes. that I kind of wish I knew ahead of time was, you know, Sometimes, if you are unearthing those, you know, stored traumas and those harder things, mm-hmm. it sometimes doesn't feel good coming back out. Um, mm. But uh, you you got to kind of clean that out to uh, stitch the the clean wound, if that makes sense, to <laughs> to, to heal. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, if you are in therapy already, and perhaps not speaking from too much experience, but maybe your therapist is retiring, or you're moving, or you decided that you know the relationship is not working out the way you wanted it to finding a new therapist and going back on the whole process might feel daunting. Do you have thoughts on how to find, you know, I guess this would be going back to what we just talked about, but kind of going back mm-hmm. to the drawing board.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think the single most important thing I can say is give yourself the space and time that you need to make the transition. Mm, yes. I That's so important to me because how you do the transition is just as important as the actual transition itself. Because if you rush into, well, I found this new person. Let me just run over there. Mm -hmm. It may not be the best fit, right? But if you wait too long, you might deprive yourself of an opportunity to continue the momentum you had, you know, from that prior mental health provider. So giving yourself the space and time that you need to make a healthy transition whatever mm-hmm. that is for you i think that's important that's the that's the single most important thing and i think that's the first step the mm-hmm. next step i think practically speaking might be asking cuz typically you know I've, I've had i've done this multiple times cuz i'd had three different jobs before i started the acoma project and then when i first left academia i treated patients for 2 years and i knew kind of when it was time like okay i i'm, I'm done with this for now mm-hmm. I let my patients know probably about six weeks ahead of time, yeah. It might even been longer than that because I wanted to give them time one to to because some of those folks I have been working with literally I had some I've been working with for five six years, Wow, yeah, and so you just being respectful of their need to process what it feels like to be losing this person who's been an integral part of your life yeah. for so long, to give them recommendations on people they might pivot to, that kind of thing, so I think it is also important. To allow yourself, I feel like this is really important to say, time to grieve. Yeah. It's like dating. (laughs) Yeah. You may need to grieve the loss of that relationship. Mm -hmm. So that time and space to heal, to make the transition is important. Giving yourself space to grieve, that's also important. And then being practical about how you're going to pivot to that next person, if and when you're ready to pivot to that next person. So getting recommendations from your current mental health provider, typically if you're they're leaving you. They will do that. I yeah. have also uh, done some searching for some of my patients who are moving to a new state. They say, oh, yeah, I know some people in that state. Here's a list of, list of names. Please check them out.
0: That's because you're that's above and beyond.
1: How- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you always, always do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think, I think that's, you're right. You're I'm right. like, that's not super this.
0: normal. I feel like you're really going the extra mile for your patients. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So, yeah, so that those are a couple of things
0: that I would say. Yeah, that's awesome. And I I can say from experience, it is like grieving a really integral relationship. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I also had a therapist for five-ish years. And uh, the end of that, you really do have to give yourself that grief space. And then, like you were saying, don't rebound. Like <laughs> the rebound relationship yep. is never the relationship. Well, I can say never, right. but you know. And then that's right. don't wait too long until you start working on it. That's right. Yeah. Oh. I, I can just like corroborate all this because I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, I like went, went through this too. I love it. I love <laughs> oh, my gosh. It. Okay. So I know we've been chatting for a bit, but I want to have one last question just to be mindful sure. of everyone's experience here. I, I would be remiss to not acknowledge that, that access to therapy is inherently a privilege, and not everyone has that privilege. We're kind of on the precipice of a, re- a recession. These rates can be really high. I don't want to f- anyone to feel like they're out of luck if they can't afford any kind of treatment like this? Do you have any suggestions around, I, I guess we kind of did mention a little bit, a little bit about the free or lower cost yeah. uh, resources. So we can list those out.
1: We, we talked about some. So okay. if, money, if money is an issue, I think it's also important to think about at the county level, many counties, not all. Again, this goes back to my training when I did a postdoc and mental health services research. Mm-hmm. Many counties have a triage type of process where you can call a county, like the local behavioral health number. Okay, Like, let's say we're in the D.C. area. So in D.C., there's county behavioral health and you call uh, the D.C. Behavioral Health Office or you get online and look them up and they can direct you to low cost or free resources. Most many, not not most, I'm sorry, many providers have uh, sliding scale. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just meaning you pay what you can afford. There are many community mental health uh, clinics. And in in bigger areas, they have something called federally qualified health centers. So if money is an issue, you can go to those uh, centers and they're primarily focused on healthcare in general for people who don't have insurance or they're underinsured, right? So they have some, but Mm -hmm. maybe it doesn't cover mental health care, that kind of thing. So there are things that state and local governments provide that can be helpful to people. And sometimes it just takes a Maybe not so quick Google search, but it takes a Google search to help you, you know, or some kind of search, whatever search engine you use to help you locate some of those no-cost or low-cost services.
0: No, that's great. I think therapy used to be such a luxury um, in terms of pricing, and it is becoming more accessible. But again, you know, that national average, when I saw those statistics, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is... You know, especially if someone wants to go once a once a week and the average, not even have, the high end, you know, you're paying almost $1,000 a month and that's a lot. That's right. That's a lot of money. Right. And, you know, as much as people want to say, like, prioritize, like, your health care, right? Like, that's, you can only do so much if you only have so much money. So I just want to be, you know, that's as right. m- mindful as possible and make sure that mental health, you know, mental health care, self-care, this all this kind of stuff that we're talking about is available to as many people as humanly possible.
1: That's right.
0: Seriously, Thank you so much. This was such a treasure trove of information. I feel like we just got into so much and such a great foundation. Is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with today?
1: So there's something that I always say whenever I close anything out, because I feel like it's important for everyone to hear it. And hopefully I'm not the only person who said this to you, all your listeners out there today, this week, this year, this month. And that is, you know, I always say it on my Instagram page. Mm -hmm. I wish you lots of love and light. And I hope that it's always informed by good culturally relevant science. And I say that because wishing for people love and light is my way of communicating to people that you deserve, as we said in the beginning, to be seen. You deserve to be heard. You deserve to feel valued. And you deserve to know that your value is purely in your existence. Just you being here, the miracle it took for all of your listeners, for you and me to physically be present on this planet cannot be underestimated. And is just an indication of how important we are just because we're here and present from day to day. So I hope that people know that they're not alone. I hope that people know that, like I said, they're valuable just because they exist. And I hope that if you haven't felt it in any other place in your life, this day, this hour, this week, this month, this year, that just hearing our conversation and hearing us say to you today that we wish you lots of love and light, that that brings a little bit, a teeny bit of peace to your day. So that's what I was say.
0: You're an angel. <laughs> I'm getting like choked up in here. I just feel like we had our own little therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> I have to laugh at myself because I'm such a baby like it. just always crying you're not a baby oh my god baby. I I'm, thank you I I'm like how am I not a water sign like just <laughs> always crying I
1: actually am I know I, I was and gonna I, say I you, too
0: I got so much water energy from you <laughs> like she's for sure you're
1: on it because that's me
0: oh my gosh Dr. Alfie you are such a treasure thank you so much for taking your precious time out of your day and sharing your light and love with all of us
1: My pleasure. My pleasure.
0: Okay. Now that I've stopped crying, I can do my sign off. We did it y'all. We got through the therapy basics and we got through take better care of yourself month. That went by way too fast. Sidebar. How awesome and amazing and wonderful is Dr. Alfie, right? I am obsessed with her. If you didn't catch that from my only slightly emotional response. I hope today's episode was educational and enlightening and empowering for you. I hope you feel validated and equipped to take some action toward improving your mental health, and I hope you feel supported. Like we mentioned, all of those resources are listed out in your episode description today so you can find a therapist or a type of mental health support that works for you. As someone who spent a lot of time in therapy, I can tell you it is the best thing you'll ever do for yourself, besides getting a golden retriever, of course. But seriously, it can be really rough, but when you get through it, therapy is literally life-altering. As for the past four episodes, again, I hope you felt like these hours we've spent together have given you some solid tools for taking care of yourself. I hope you feel seen and heard and valued, just like Dr. Alfie said. It can feel daunting, especially with so much going on in these crazy times, but you deserve all the support and care. I really mean that. When you take care of yourself, the world is a better place. The happier and healthier you are, the more light you can share with the world. I'm an inspirational cat poster now. Mm, cool. So now that I've been cringe levels of sappy, let's call it a day, shall we? I'm going to go listen to Taylor Swift's new album another 300 times. I'll be in your inbox next week for a chat about women's hormones. If you're a woman or you know a woman, you should listen. KK, love you lots. Lots of love and light, like Dr. Alfie said. Avienzo, Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of This Is Fine. I've been your host, Dominique Michelle Astorino. We're based in San Diego, recording in studio at DLI Productions in Pacific Beach with Emmy Award-winning sound designer Dan De La Isla. This is a comedy and advice podcast, but for legal reasons, this entire podcast is a joke and none of it is medical advice. To download a transcript or learn more, visit thisisfinepodcast.com.